Romans chapter 8. It is a chapter that is expressly written about victory and conquest and the Holy Spirit's work, bringing the very life and work of Jesus inside of us. The more you know, the more you grow. The more that you are fixed on these truths, the more the Spirit of God has liberty to manifest the life of Jesus Christ in you. And it's an ongoing work for all of us. And, uh, but it happens when you just know these truths about what God has already done in your soul. So when we get to Romans chapter 8, there's no more struggle. It is over. The struggle was in chapter 7 in trying to do it on our own. Now we realize there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. We understand that the principle and law, the spirit of life that's now in us, absolutely trumps and sets us free from that law of sin and death. We are not subject to bondage of sin, of temptation to sin. And so we get down all the way uh, to verse, let's go to verse 9. I think that's where we left off. Verse 9 after he says, those that are in the flesh cannot please God, in the flesh has reference to the lost man, the non-believers. Because in verse 9 he says, you, however, are not in the flesh. Now you may choose to live after the flesh or according to, but that's not who you are anymore. Flesh not having reference to the skin on your bones, but that sinful entity that's within all of us still present in our mortal bodies. So he says in verse 9, you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. God has placed you in the Holy Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now the next part of verse 9 kind of refutes a heresy in our Christian circles that's been around for an awful long time. And it's the heresy of what some call the second blessing. And what they'll tell you is that you can get saved and ask Jesus to redeem you, but if you really want to grow, you ask for the Holy Spirit. And then He comes in, and then you're baptized in the Spirit, and then you speak with gibberish, and you're able to do a lot of really wild things. I'll never forget the time I visited one of these churches in promoting one of our marriage retreats that a woman with hair down to there came to the front and got into some certain frenzy and began to sling her hair around in a circle. It was quite a show. I couldn't take my eyes off that whole bonnet of hair flying. And she got going so fast, it's like one of those, it looked like a complete circle going on like that. How she didn't fall down, I don't know. The Spirit of God has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. The people that are in those movements that experience certain phenomenon, um, most, of, most, if not all of it, is nothing but a physiological reaction to sling. You get up here and sling your hair around 20 times, you're going to get some adrenaline flowing in your body. You're going to have an experience that has nothing to do with the Spirit, but they'll claim that's the Holy Spirit. I have a spiritual experience sometimes at football games when my team scores a touchdown. Yes, yes, you're jumping all around, the adrenaline's flowing. That's exactly what's going on in those churches. Nothing to do with a baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly teaches that when you were saved, the moment you came to Christ, 
The Spirit of God baptized you into Christ. The Holy Spirit came inside you. Because look at the second part of verse 9. It says that anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Well, there you go. There you go. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Let that echo in your mind. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you are not His. You are not a Christian. You can't have the, be a Christian without the Spirit of God living in you. So there goes that heresy of our day. It just is not true. So, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The Spirit is life, contrasting to death, because of righteousness. Now, what does this mean? This means that if Christ is in you, He does not make any difference in your body. The body is dead. Dead in emotion toward God. Dead in desire to serve God. It is dead because flesh and sin still dwell in it. You ever felt guilty because you didn't, couldn't muster up any love for God? The body is dead. Sometimes I hear songs that say, oh, I want to live for you. No, you don't. None of us do. The body is dead. Get the theology right. The Spirit of God within you loves God, and Jesus loves God. And as you focus on Him, the whole phenomenon comes to pass, but nothing generates spiritually in you. We have no desire to serve God. We have no desire to love God. There's nothing within us that moves in our body. And that's not just talking about the physical. That's talking about the mind. That's talking about the heart. That's talking about the emotions. There is no emotions moving toward God. Don't feel guilty because you don't have them. Don't try to muster them up. The body is dead. Save you an awful lot of time. Well, how does it all work? You look away from yourself unto Christ that lives within. Notice because this, in the same time that your body's dead, and in your mind you can't love God, in your heart you can't love God. And I'm telling you, everything you see is mostly trying to generate something out of you in Christian discipleship. There's a, there was a whole series by a gentleman called Loving God. Twelve steps of how to learn to love God. And you get to all those 12 steps, and at the end of it, the body is dead. It's nothing. I don't mean that to discourage you. I would just save you a lot of time and energy. Nothing's in you. The body's dead. Kind of takes us off the hook and relieves us, does it not? I can't generate a thing within me. I'm as cold toward God in my mind, in my heart, as the, as the day I got saved or before. Now, when he begins to work and we look unto him, notice that the verse 10, it says, actually verse, well, yes, verse 10, the body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because based in righteousness. All of a sudden, all the things that I couldn't do because the body's dead, the spirit of life, when I look to that spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, all of a sudden, my mind is charged with interest in God. My heart leaps with love toward God, and all of a sudden, the entire body is engaged in that, not originating in me, but originating in Him, okay? 
So in contrast, the body is dead. You have nothing that moves you toward God. But in you is the spirit of life. Focus on that and not yourself. Notice at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus, this is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, notice, dwells, lives, abides, not going anywhere. Don't wait to feel him. This verse says he is there. He is there. If he dwells in you, verse 11 says, he who raised up, he who raised Christ Jesus. Now, if you notice, there's a transition there between Jesus and Christ Jesus. Transition. None of the Gospels name Jesus as Christ Jesus. All of the Gospels simply talk about Jesus. It is his post, or I'm sorry, pre-resurrection name. It is his personal name. We have no connection with Jesus of the earth. We have no connection with his life. We have no connection in his death. We joined him in his death, but where our real connection began is in his resurrection out of the grave. In that we are connected with Christ Jesus, the resurrected Christ. So that's why the change in names there, the designations. So it says, notice verse 11, if the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus, now connected with us, from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Wow. Wow. Life now and life then. Really life then. But he lives in you. Now he never will make this body alive in terms of this physical, emotional, mental. But he manifests himself through the neutrality of this body as we give it over to the Spirit of God. I think this verse renders probably more for the future than the present. There's coming a time that the very life of God in you will transform your body into a glorified body and then his life will be your life in terms of the physical. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. Even a child born out of the womb struggles with pain. We watched a two-month-old trying to relieve herself of gas this afternoon and the struggle and pain of a little two-month-old as she just groaned within herself. We all struggle all through our lives with this body, do we not? The older we get, the more we struggle with it, do we not? Okay, the older we get, the more we struggle with it, do we not? Oh, yeah, come on, I know he's just hiding all those aches and pains. I told Karen, I said, is it normal at 56 years old to get up out of the bed and your heels hurt and your legs hurt and your joints hurt and your hips hurt and you feel like you're 80 years old going down the stairs. You just, amen, well, that's, I'd expect it if I was Wilbur's age, but my age, I just, you know, I don't expect to hurt this much, man. Now, once I get a little coffee in me and I get moving around, it all starts juicing down, and I'm, I'm okay. But it's coming a day that we'll never have to sleep. Power will surge through our physical. We'll walk on water. We'll fly through the air with the greatest of ease. 
We will think thoughts that we have never thought with our bodies, with our minds. We will feel emotions like we have never felt before. We will see colors that we have never seen before. This world will seem black and white, and this body will seem like a, a body of death when we get on the other side. His Spirit will quicken our mortal bodies. Do you have any idea how much Cleve Williams is dancing tonight with great joy with a body that does not hurt? Do you have any idea what Howard and Toshiko are doing today? I think she's still fussing with him. I think she still said, Howa, Howa, come in here, Howa. I miss her. I miss them. I miss all the ones that have gone on before us. Kevin. He'll be, he would have been 40 this coming week, tomorrow. Kevin's body is just flying through the air right now. Hallelujah. We have something to look forward to, don't we? I know it's hard, but do not feel sorry for those who have gone on beyond before us. If truth were known, they're probably looking back at us feeling sorry for us. They need to get out of that mess. This is good over here. Look at verse 12. So then, my brothers, so then, if this all is true, now you think about what God has invested in us. He sent his only son to die on a cross to cleanse us from all sins. Of all things, he's come to live in our hearts. We live in him. He lives in us. The God of the universe has joined himself to us. He has rendered sin and death powerless within us. Think of what God has invested and done in you. So then, my brothers, you, we are debtors, not to the flesh. And I, I would stop and ask you, what has the flesh done, ever done for you? What has your sinful passions ever rewarded you other than pain and heartache? What is all that stuff inside of you? What has your own self-promotion ever brought but loneliness? We are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, or out of its dictates, out of its manifest desires for us. For if we live according to the flesh, if you live according to that flesh, listening to sin, listening to the temptations, Listen to that stuff. Notice, you will die. This is not written to save, unsaved. This is written to Christians. You will die. What death is he talking about? Obviously not eternal death. Obviously not spiritual death. A Christian can do the most sin. All of us can do the most. We can live according to those dictates. And what will it give us? Death. What is death? Death is separation. It'll separate us from others. It'll separate us from family. It'll separate us from loved ones. It'll cut off ties with people. This is what living according to the flesh does. It may, we may get our way in a certain thing, but we will be alone in that. Now, we can't die in our relationship with God. You just can't. But in living according to the flesh, a Christian can get so far away as it's as if God doesn't exist to him. Now, God deals with that Christian. He deals with us, disciplines us, tries to get our attention. But if he can, and he continues on, there is a sin unto death. 
that God sometimes takes believers home because He loves us so much. He doesn't want us to waller in that sin. If we live according to the flesh, now, I'm going to stop and tell you this. There's good flesh and there's bad flesh. It's all flesh. Living according to the flesh is living out of your own strength and resources. Now, it may manifest itself in sinful ways, what the world would call sinful, but any life lived apart from the Spirit of God, even though it's respectable in the eyes of the world, is just as sinful as the most sinful sin there is. The sin in Noah's day that God said, I must destroy, was that they ate and they drank and they married and they gave in marriage. Well, what is wrong with eating and drinking and marrying? They did it all with absolutely no mind toward God at all. They cut off God from their thinking, living on an absolute, complete, horizontal lifestyle without any recognition that God exists. They, lay, they lived as a bunch of sixes, never connecting with their God and completing their lives, and in doing so, that was sin. So when we say according to the flesh, you may not be rendering out some terrible sin, but any life lived out of Mike and his strength and his abilities is according to the flesh. So let's go on. Verse 13, if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit, notice, you put to death the deeds of, not the body, but the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, you can't put these things to death. Notice it says, you by the Spirit. If you by the Spirit, you put to death. Now, what does that mean? The responsibility of the Holy Spirit as He's come inside of you is not to make you run up and down the aisles and throw your hair in a circle and, and jump over pews and do gibberish. Neither is to send you into some ecstatic kind of wonderful, drunken, spiritual drunken state. The responsibility of the Holy Spirit when He came into our lives is to bring with Him a person. It is to bring to us Jesus Christ and all the work that was accomplished on the cross, and every bit of it, his death, his burial, his resurrection. When the Spirit of God comes, he begins to apply to us as we learn it and begin to trust in it the work that Jesus did for us on our behalf. So when it says that the Spirit, we by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, it is referring to the gospel of Jesus Christ where we, by the Spirit of God, believe that we have died with Him, that we have been buried with Him, that we have rose from the dead with Him, and that Spirit now lives in power in us. There is no resurrection without an understanding of death. Do you understand? Death to any ability to live the Christian life. We are dead to sin. We are dead to its power. We trust in the fact that Christ has come within us and now lives within us. That's the victory the Spirit brings. So when we say by the Spirit, we just don't go directly to the Spirit and cry out, put to death the deeds of this. We understand all that's involved in that Spirit within us. Okay? 
much theology is simply taking something from a verse and establishing all these beliefs and practices without getting the whole of Scripture and understanding the whole of Gospel. There are groups who have taken this and said, well, we just will cry out to the Spirit for victory. And so they have these victory chants. They get down to the altars and they cry out to work through, to work through till we get to the Spirit. And then they ask the Spirit for the victory. The Spirit doesn't give the victory. The Spirit brings the life of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection. Those are the things that put to death the deeds of this body. Everybody follow me? You've got to know the whole package. You've got to keep everything in mind as we go through. So what are the deeds of the body? It's the stuff that you want to do that's sinful, selfish, self-promoting. I don't need to give you that list. You, we, all, we all grew up with that thing. Okay? To be spiteful, to be revengeful, to be hurtful, to be hateful, to be all those things, say all those things. You ever been hurt by somebody and you had a chance to get them back? You had, you had your moment in the sun, you could have got them. Deeds of the body. See? All right, let's take a look down. Verse 14. It says in verse 14, For all who are led, led, directed, moved by the Spirit of God. Those are the ones that are the sons of God. Now you can be a child of God without being a son of God. Now we're talking about maturity. There are many children of God who never become sons of God because they are not led of the Spirit of God and grow in grace and knowledge. 